only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The National Weather Service has issued a severe thunderstorm warning. Welcome. To the Common Sense Practical Prepper Podcast, where prepping doesn't have to be complicated or expensive. Coming to you from a well-defended off-grid compound high in the mountains. Coming to you from his Florida room in Richmond, Virginia. Neither off-grid nor well-defended, unless you count as chickens and cats, here is your host, Keith. Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the Common Sense Practical Prepper Podcast. My name is Keith. And this is episode 37. Today is February 28th, 2023. Gas here in Central Virginia, I saw it the other day as low as $2.86 a gallon. I think that was a bit of an anomaly because uh, pretty much $2.99 is where $2.99, $2.98, there's a $3.01 every now and again. So right around $3 a gallon is where the vast majority of the gas stations um, have, have their price set at. Okay. I'm going to stay away from politics as best I can, which means I'm not. I'm going to talk about the world as I see it today and kind of kind of aside from Russia and Ukraine, but Russia and Ukraine will obviously creep into my analysis, my best guess, what I think the hell is going on. So this is how I see it. We have the recession here in the United States. There's a world worldwide recession. I think most or most of us can agree on that. There's people talking about World War III. Is that World War III between the United States and China? Because China seems to be siding with Russia, especially as the um, we just reached the one-year anniversary for the Russian-Ukraine war. And Russia and China seem to have worked out a deal to kind of, um, I guess, get past some of the sanctions and to ease a lot of the economic and the financial hardship that these all these different sanctions are, are causing Putin and Russia. Now, do I really think there's going to be a war, a kinetic war between the United States and China? Whether it's over Ukraine or Russia, uh, China trying to invade Taiwan, whatever it happens to be. I have thought about this a lot, and I really cannot imagine a scenario where there is a kinetic war that ends up with a nuclear exchange between our two countries. And I'm not a nuclear scientist. I don't know much about nuclear weapons and megatons and megatrons and however they size nuclear weapons. But I do know about fallout. I do know prevailing winds, depending on the um, the type of weapon and the size of the weapon, prevailing wind power, uh, wind wind patterns, the weather. That the fallout can be as deadly, if not more deadly, than the initial blast. The initial blast, depending again on the size, will absolutely incinerate everything within what one mile, two mile, five miles, whatever it happens to be. But then it's the fallout, it's the radiation sickness is, that is going to kill most of the people affected. I cannot imagine that ever happening in anybody's lifetime. As as I say that remembering in 1945, that's exactly what we did. Uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, we dropped two nuclear bombs on those two cities. And obviously the war came to an end very, very soon after that. And again, I'm not a weapons expert, but I'm pretty sure that we have weapons in our nuclear arsenal now that make, was it Fat Man and Little Boy? 
where the where the two bombs Hiroshima Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I'm sure they make those look like firecrackers. Kids play. There's um, ICBMs with multiple warheads. Gets up at a certain altitude. And then the front breaks open, and now there's 20 mini nuclear bombs, you know, dropping in all different areas. So it's not just one. It spreads out and it releases 20, 30, whatever it happens to be. But I really can't, I, I, I don't, it could certainly happen. It's certainly within the realm of possibility, but I have a hard time getting my head wrapped around what that would be. You know, with the way information travels, it's going to be on all social media. Let's say there's an exchange, a limited exchange. Obviously, it's it's going to hit social media and it's going to travel around the world within seconds. You're going to be able to see exactly what it looks like. And then obviously the aftermath. I don't know if you can have a limited exchange. I'm not sure if China launches first or Russia launches first, whatever it happens to be. I can't even imagine the United States or the country that's going to retaliate oh, let's just drop one on Moscow since they dropped one on Washington, D.C. Okay, they dropped one on Miami. We're going to drop one on St. Petersburg. I, I can't, I really just can't wrap my head around even a limited nuclear war happening, let alone what they call uh, assured mutual destruction. And of course, that's just in the end of everything. And we don't have to worry about that. So like I said, uh, Russia is relying on China for a lot of uh, financial support. The Biden administration initiated another set of sanctions. Now we're seizing the property, personal property, the yachts, the money, and the actual homes of a lot of these Russian oligarchs that have property here. That's uh, just basically going to make them mad. There's not a whole lot they can do about it. Now they can't you know, go to their summer home in Aspen or Miami or wherever it happens to be. Again, that really doesn't put pressure on Putin as much directly as on the oligarchs who are then who finance a lot of the country, who are multimillionaires. And they, I, I think they do have some influence with Putin. Not that they're going to ever tell this guy what to do, but I think when you have the people that financially back your country, you know, from within the country, that could, I mean, that could maybe sway Putin a little bit. I don't know. I just know that a couple oligarchs have um, have met their untimely de- demise, throwing themselves off of balconies and high rises and winding up committing suicide, shooting themselves three times in the back of the head, and then burying themselves in a shallow grave behind their home. But I digress. But again, I think about it and I really can't get my head wrapped around it. I really can't say, oh, well, this is what, it, what this is what it would be like. And since I'm, you know, 100 miles south of D.C. and about 100 miles west of the Norfolk Naval Base, I think I've said before that Central Virginia, uh, if it's not struck directly, obviously the fallout will be pretty significant. I haven't even prepared for that. I don't even know how to prepare for that. I guess I can do a little research, but I think that's well above uh, my level of of preparation. Okay, quickly on Russia and Ukraine, Janet Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury, paid a surprise visit to Valinsky two or two days ago, dropped off a check for I think it was one billion dollars, or maybe it's ten billion dollars. Anyway, we've already given one hundred bazillion dollars and now he comes she comes over and to announce that this is just a small down payment to again how much more bajillions of dollars that we're providing Ukraine. Not going to beat a dead horse. This money is not going to the defense of the country. They're getting their ammunition, their weapons, their tanks, their missiles, their missile defense systems. They're getting all of that from the West. I doubt seriously if this 10 bajillion dollars or whatever just got put into the bank. I doubt if he's like, oh, well, let's go rebuild this. Let's set up a shelter or something. Let's hear, let's get a bunch of food so we can, so we can feed our citizens and things like that. It's basically just going into the pockets of, of him and a 
a lot of the other uh, politicians there in Ukraine. But for whatever reason, and I certainly have my opinion on why we're doing this, we are basically just going to give them as much money as they want indefinitely. Okay. Last podcast, I talked a little bit about the little mini solar project that I have going on. And I purchased a ground mount from Signature Solar. It's the EG4 ground mount. Now, initially, the way it should be installed is uh, there's like, you know, three or four concrete footings. I think it's four concrete footings that you sink, you know, 18 inches in the ground. They have to be 12 by 12, whatever it happens to be. And that's going to support the ground mount. And then obviously the panels on top. Well, that makes it a static ground array. It's not going anywhere. Well, I really don't have the benefit of of making a static display because I really love my two big shade trees in my backyard that provide shade to my Florida room. So I really, really, really don't want to give up my shade for the interest of putting up some solar panels. Those would go on the roof if, in fact, I took the two trees down. So I've got five 100-watt panels that are in a small stand that I made that's running two 100-amp-hour Rododo batteries that charge phones, Bluetooth speakers, batteries for my Ryobi power tools, things like just really small loads, nothing too crazy. I'll turn a fan on in the garage if it's warm, just something like that. Just something to, uh, just to kind of toy around with. I've got it. I've got the fuses and everything up on a, up on a piece of plywood and pretty decent cable management, just to, just to try to understand how everything works. I have the inverter and the, and the, and the solar charger. So just something I messed around with. Well, I took, I watched a video country living experience it's a YouTube channel, some homesteaders in Eastern Texas, and he does some fantastic videos. A few months ago, he purchased the ground mount and actually mounted it on a bunch of pressure-treated 4x4s to make it portable in the sense that if he needed to move it, you know, this thing is so heavy, maybe put his tractor on it to, to move it around, but eventually he's going to sink the concrete pilings and make it uh, a static array that sits in front of his larger array. And that that's enormous. That's absolutely enormous. So I went ahead and, and followed the video, followed his design and purchased several pressure treated four by fours, which really were not as expensive as I anticipated at Home Depot. The, the prices have come down quite a bit. Was it about a year and a half ago? Lumber was, I mean, some really, some like contractor grade four by four or two by two by fours that really aren't two by fours. You to build, build homes, you know, studs and walls. They were eight, nine, $10 a piece. Now they're down to, I think two and a quarter. And I can't remember what they were pre COVID, but they're probably still elevated a little bit. So I was really surprised. I think um, pressure treated four by four by 10 was 12, 12 or $14. And I also picked up a four by four by 16 pressure treated as well because the the array itself is 180 inches long I guess and so I needed a 16 footer that I used pretty much all of to set the braces in and to get this whole thing set up so I went ahead and used the design from the YouTube video some very serious lag bolts washers lock washers try to get the feet I guess you could say the feet that would normally be sunk into the concrete pillars those are actually attached to the four by four. And if you ever, if you go to the video and I'll, I'll put a link to it in the, the little show notes or whatever they call it below the title in the description of this particular podcast, I have to use like an outrigger because there's only, there's only the four feet that set back. Uh, it's kind of difficult to articulate, but um, if you go to the video and you watch it, and I'll also link the actual product, the ground mount from the Signature Solar website, it doesn't like sit on four legs. It's not stable. You'll you'll have a chance to look at it if you if you look at the video. 
So there's basically some outriggers. If you were to put it just on the four by four and to fasten everything together, it would actually just roll forward and the panels would hit the ground because it's not supported in the front. So basically I have three outriggers. They extend about three feet from that the main uh, four by four by 16 that has a lot of the load. They come out about three feet. So as the solar panel, as the whole thing wants to roll forward, the outrigger keeps it from doing that. Well, I wanted this to be portable in a sense that I have several areas in my yard, depending on the time of the year, but it will stick to the summer. I have two areas that get fantastic sun for probably three, four or five hours a day, with the exception of the two big oak trees that are in the middle. I can have two little arrays, one on each side of the big trees, or I can have this large one that I can try to make portable. I found some eight inch caster wheels on Amazon and they're not the real smooth wheels. These, they have like little knobbies, little knobby tires. They look at little off-road caster wheels, I guess, if you could ever find a use for that. But I purchased, one, two, I had three outriggers, so I purchased six, one at each end of the outrigger for the most part, end, middle, and end, and some serious lag bolts. I think those were three, those are the three and a half inch lag bolts. I had some to help secure the, the main four by four to the outriggers. So I was going to, you know, a four by four to a four by four. I used six and a half inch lag bolts and man, those were a pain to get down there and, and to tighten up. So I've got the wheels on there. It actually is very stable. It doesn't wobble. It doesn't want to lean, uh, lean back or lean forward. And I actually rolled it out into the backyard yesterday. It was, the thing was enormous. I'm like, oh my gosh, how can I get this thing out of my garage? So I got it out there and it's sitting in the back. And so now I need to get my cables for cable management. I purchased some solar, they're like solar panel clips. It's for cable management. It clips on the underside and the, the, the side of the panel, the little lip, and it clicks in pretty tight. Then you can put the cable. So it, it makes so the cables aren't hanging down. It makes it look a little nicer. Plus you don't have to worry about it catching on anything. It's for, for aesthetics for the most part, but it, it will look a lot nicer than, than the cables hanging everywhere. So I'm gonna set those up in parallel and I, I think I have the like the Y adapters. So I have I have two, four, six, eight. So I have four panels. So I have four negative, four positive, and I did hook all the negatives into one, all the positive in the other, and bring them down. And then and then let's see, that's then, yep. Then I have to go ahead and then hook up the on the Delta Pro. I have an Anderson connector onto the Delta Pro, and then the MC4 connectors, positive and negative, out to the array. So I need to measure the distance that the array is going to be sitting on either side of the oak trees because the Delta Pros are going to be inside the garage. So I need to do a little bit of homework to see, you know, as you go, let's say over 20 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet of the wire, you know, are you losing anything? Does it get to the point where it's not worth making your run from your panels to your, in this case, the, the solar generator, you know, does it diminishing returns, I guess you could say. So I need to do a little bit of homework and see what I'm losing for every five feet, 10 feet, whatever it happens to be. I may do the research and they may say, oh, anything less than 150 feet, you're fine, whatever the case may be. Now, if this turns out to be something that works really, really well, I'm also considering just taking some real thin conduit and burying the conduit and then it'll come out of the ground. I'll put like a planter or something so I don't run it over with a mower. And then I know that I can unhook everything, wheel the solar array over, hook it up, and then I have to worry about rolling the cable up as I roll it back towards the garage or, or roll it to the next section. But we'll see. We'll see um, how it turns out. And again, the panels are four used uh, 290 watt panels and they did a a little bit of ad hoc testing about a week, week and a half ago, 
and I was getting 240 or 250 a panel. And that was really without getting the angle right. Uh, that was basically just kind of propping them up against my barbecue and getting, I don't shoot, I was probably at a 30, uh, probably 45 degree angle, something like that, because the sun was actually, it's still pretty low on the horizon, but I was able to get a really clear view right before it went over my neighbor's or down behind my neighbor's house. So I was pretty impressed with those had an appointment with an electrician, but they canceled to get a quote on an interlock switch. I'm going to have a 30 amp because the, uh, the Delta pro pushes, uh, it could push 240 at, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. 240 at 30 amps. And that's, that's the max. So I'm going to have this set up for 240. I'll have two Delta pros next to each other. There's a small bridge you put between them that you can run 240 from there. And I'll have the uh, 30 amp RV plug into the bridge and then to the plug on the, probably the in, probably in the garage on one, on one of the walls. And then I tie that to the home panel with an interlock switch, which basically allows you or does not allow you to use your solar power, use your battery power at the same time as the grid. So it's basically one or the other. So in the interlock switch, it locks out one or the other. And there's 10,000 videos on YouTube. So if the power does go out, this is not something that's automatically going to kick on. I guess I could do that if I wanted to, but maybe one of these days. So as soon as the power goes out, I go to the panel, flip the main breaker, make sure everything's off and like move the little, the little switch is just a piece of aluminum on like a little track that covers that, I guess, covers the main, the main breaker for the home. And then it allows me to click the breaker to then allow power coming from the, the solar generator and the Delta Pros to then feed uh, my panel to feed my home at 240. And at that point, I'll go ahead and be, oh, well, here's the lights. I'll click on the lights in the living room. Here's the, the plug on the wall that, you know, the internet. And then, you know, here's the TV. I'm not worried about the washer and dryer. Um, not I'm too, a little bit of worried about surge and stuff like that. Not worried about the microwave. Certainly not going to turn on my HVAC, which is a pretty beefy system. No need for all that. But I'll you know be able to pretty much do everything. Obviously, I could cook, fridge, freezer, internet, phones, lights, uh, the security cameras. All that will be up and running. So I am certainly going to get the electricians out here. I don't think I can do it this week, but probably next week to get the quotes on that. And I'll let you know how that goes. I'm going to take a wild guess and say about $800. And I, I, I could be, I could be, no, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be too low. I don't think I'm way, way high either. I'm going to say $800. So I'll let you guys know. I'm going to get two different quotes and see what these, uh, see what these cats say. Okay. What is in my freeze dryer? So a few days ago, I went ahead and freeze dried some raw eggs, went ahead and whipped them up a little bit, put them in the trays, put them in the freezer, Brought them out about 18 hours later, and it took 27, almost 28 hours to totally freeze dry those raw eggs. This time, I, I kind of ground them up into a powder because that's what gonna, they're going to be used for, basically for cooking. It might reconstitute them as a powder uh, to see actually how they taste because with the cooked scrambled eggs, they still maintain the look of scrambled eggs. And I'm, I'm not really a texture eater or anything like that. But if I'm going to eat scrambled eggs, I kind of want them to look like scrambled eggs because if they don't, you got that visual of like, you know, you got to tell yourself, these are scrambled eggs, even though they don't look like scrambled eggs, they're going to taste like scrambled eggs. So that's what I have. Uh, so the freeze dried cooked scrambled eggs, the powdered raw eggs can be used for cooking or obviously hot water, 
and you make it into an egg and then you can microwave it or mix it up real good and maybe it'll it'll taste halfway decent. So I have another set getting ready to go in. I had enough eggs that I was able to, uh, while one set of trays were in, I went ahead and got a uh, more eggs from the day after. And now I'm ready to actually pop four more in. I have two sets of trays. I really don't rotate them that fast. I let the freeze dryer sit for several hours or a day. I don't have, I don't see the need to run this thing 24 seven, but I do have another set ready to go in to freeze dry. And I'll probably drop those in in the morning or maybe tomorrow afternoon when I get off work. So earlier tonight, I was digging through my gear closet where I keep all my camping gear and I ran across some freeze-dried foods that I, I took when I went backpacking and, and doing overnight trips. So I ran across, I forget, it wasn't Mountain House or one, of, it was one of the other ones. It was a pretty decent brand for biscuits and gravy. And I don't know, shoot, it's probably two, three years old. And the expiration was 2027. So I went ahead and tried it. And it was actually pretty good. Put a little bit of pepper on it. The biscuits themselves were actually whole biscuits. Now I was under the understanding that your biscuits and gravy, the biscuits are kind of chopped up into little chunks so they can, I guess, rehydrate better. So anyway, these are like little mini biscuits and they were not broken up at all. And once I dropped the hot water in, stirred it up and let it sit, they, they attracted some of the moisture, but they were still, they were still pretty hard. But I was really surprised. That was very, very tasty. So I said to myself, self, why don't you look up some videos and see if you can freeze dry your own biscuits and gravy? If Mountain House and all these backpacking meal companies can do it, then why can't I at a fraction of the cost? Found another YouTube video and actually looked at a couple. And the one I'm going to go with is, uh, is three pounds of, of sausage. And what you need to do is like the, the mortal enemy of freeze drying is fat you know, fat and grease. So if you're going to do this, use some low fat sausage, if that's a thing, and cook it and rinse it really, really well. Let it drain, rinse it with some hot water. Try not to over rinse it or, or kind of end up overcooking it. If you're using really hot water or boiling water, we'll definitely overcook it. And then uh, just, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. You just, you make your gravy, you, you cook your biscuits and you go ahead and, and lay the gravy, sausage gravy on one of the trays. And when it comes out, you can just break it off and do, you know, separate portions. And I'll go ahead and put the, the link to the YouTube video that I used. And I'll go ahead and put the link to the YouTube video down in the episode description for this particular podcast. Let's see. So I owe you guys the video link and the ground mount link. And what's the other link? Oh, uh, Country Living Experience. Uh, give you a link to their YouTube video if you want to check out their ground mount video. Again, folks, if you want to reach me, I'm on the Twitter at Common Sense Practical Prepper Podcast or prep underscore podcast is the official name, whatever tag, whatever, whatever it's called. If you want to email me, practical prep podcast at gmail.com. Again, folks, thank you for, for coming by and listening to me ramble on. Again, I, I say it at the end at, at the end of every podcast. I really do appreciate uh, you stopping in and listening to my content. This is not monetized. I'm not sponsored by anybody. But if anybody like wants to sponsor me, I don't even know how that works. Do I wear like your t-shirt or something like NASCAR or golf or something like Tiger Woods wore like Nike? So if you own like, you know, Mike's gas station, do I get like a mechanic shirt with like Mike on it? Oh, no, I'd put Keith on. I don't want to wear Mike's shirt. That'd look creepy. People get sponsored. I don't know how that works. And again, 
the, the stuff I review and the stuff I talk about, I'm not sponsored by any of those folks. They're not providing any of these. This is all with my own money and all the good kind of stuff. So again, folks, thank you so much for stopping by and listening. I really do appreciate it. The audience grows by the week. Every week, there's always more people listening and downloading than the previous week. And I've noticed several people have gone back and to try to catch up on some of the early videos, which I absolutely do appreciate over and over and over. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, folks, as always, especially on days like this, especially when the world's going to hell in a handbasket, please be safe out there. Take care of one another and take care of the ones that you love. And until next time. Thanks for listening to the Common Sense Practical Prepper Podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, help spread the word by leaving a rating and review.